So we're in this series called uh, Fully Faithful, and we've been talking about John 6, 29, which I'm not going to show you on the screen. I'm not going to show you. I don't think any of these scriptures on the screen, uh, but I want you to be uh, having your phone open to your Bible or have your Bible open to your Bible or go to the church app and see the message notes there. But I've been asking you to memorize John 6, 29. And those of you who have it memorized because you're faithful, awesome, great people, um, you can even say it with me. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This whole conversation for these seven weeks now has been about what does it mean to really believe in Jesus? What does that really mean? How deep does it go in who we are? How does it weave into every fabric of our lives? What does it mean to really believe? Most of us would come to confess that we are at least partially agnostic. We confess a faith in Jesus, but it does not color or influence the way we live in certain parts of our life. We neglectful, we're not intentional. And so we're, we're trying to learn, what does it mean to really believe in Jesus? And what does that look like? And then we've been using Proverbs chapter 16. I didn't ask you to turn there because we're just going to look at two verses. And then we're going to read all of Isaiah 55. And in Proverbs chapter, chapter 16, we're at verses 6 and 7. And this is where I will invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, which is our practice, if you're willing and able to do so. Proverbs 16, verse 7 and 8. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way... He causes their enemies to make peace with them. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Then Isaiah 55, reading the entire chapter, it goes like this. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will be delight, you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Man, I love that. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst in song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thanks so much. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines that help us deepen our belief in God. And our spiritual discipline today is to practice the discipline of altar and stewardship. 
So our big idea today is that restoration is a lifestyle of altar and stewardship. That is spending time alone with God privately so that you can be privately healthy and whole and producing fruit publicly. This is how it works. It's really interesting how we neglect the private part of our relationship with God, the health of our soul, the health of our mind, and yet we expect to be fully fruitful publicly. So the, the relationship that God wants for us is to have uh, altar and stewardship where we are privately healthy and publicly fruitful for God, and he's gonna show us how to do that. So in this Proverbs passage, I wanna just read verse seven and eight to you again. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Here's what this is saying, that when God takes pleasure in the way, your way, he engages and makes things that are not normal happen. Normally, when you have enemies, they do not make peace with you. They wait for you to make peace with them or they want revenge, but rarely do your enemies make peace with you. God is saying, when I'm pleased with your ways, I will make your enemies make peace with you. And what are my ways? What is that? Well, the word ways all throughout the scriptures is a, is a way of talking about your life, the way you live your life, your way. Each of us has our way. My way is to say a dumb joke when I'm nervous or to stick my foot in my mouth. Those are part of my ways. And we all have our ways. But when God takes pleasure in your ways, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the sinful, right? So uh, when God is delighted with your ways, he kicks in overdrive. And he makes not ordinary things happen that won't happen otherwise. And then he says the next verse where you say, well, what are his ways? Well, part of it is given to us in this hint, better a little with righteousness than a whole lot with sinfulness, with wickedness. So part of his ways is I have a priority higher than my own financial growth or flourishing or my own blessing. I have a, fun, I have a priority that trumps my comfort. Better a little with righteousness than a whole lot with wickedness. So when I was thinking about, Lord, what are our ways? And, and we read there in Isaiah 55, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways from our ways, like God's ways are not ours. I mean, let's just tell the truth, shame the devil. If you were God, what would you do with your enemies? Oh man, I would thump them so hard, they would, they would see stars for days, which would mean I would end up thumping the whole world because all of us uh, are evil at the core in our hearts. They're deceitfully wicked. We seek our own pleasures, whatever, uh, but not God. What does God do? He takes on flesh, suffers himself for the redemption of all mankind. His ways are just different than our ways. And as the New Testament teaches us the ways of the kingdom of God, we keep colliding with how not our way that is. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who offend you. Man, these are not normal. So God wants to teach us his ways. And I want to give you just two uh, big decisions you can make that will put you on this path of God delighting in your ways. And they come right out of Isaiah 55. So that's where we're at now, back to Isaiah 55. There's two key decisions that we can make that will put us on this path of living a way that God finds delight in. The first is the decision to seek to satisfy all of your mental, emotional, and physical needs through God. I'm gonna seek to satisfy all of my needs through God. I need a paycheck, 
I need groceries. I need a place to live. I need a vehicle to drive. I need uh, health care when I need it. I have lots of needs that are just tangible, real needs. But I also have mental health needs and I have emotional needs and I have relational needs. And here's the, here's the thing that I'm saying. To delight God in your ways is to say that my first place to look for any need I have is to the Lord. He's my provider. He is the one who will take care of me. And this is really the first seven verses of Isaiah 55. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters and drink for free. You who are hungry, come, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk. That's a pretty good combination for the fridge. Without money and without cost, why do you keep spending money on what is not bread? Why do we keep giving our resources to something that cannot satisfy? So come to me. Now, Jesus said this too in Matthew 11, uh, verse 28. I think he says, uh, come to me who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for I'm meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your soul. We have the highest degree of anxiety in history. We have the highest degree of mental health issues in history. It's not just that we're paying attention to it now and people have always been this upset. It's new, it's stressful, it's anxious. Come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me and you will find rest for your soul. What do you do when you're anxious, when you're jacked up on anxiety? What do you do when you're in despair? Where do you go when you don't know where to go? God says, I want you to make a simple decision that you will satisfy all of your emotional, mental, and physical needs in God first. He is our provider. We always say this thing, you know, I guess there's nothing we can do now but pray. This is why I think God wants our initiative to be anchored in prayer talking to God. In John 7, Jesus said it another way. In the last day of the feast, he stood up and in a loud voice, he cried out, is anyone thirsty? Come to me. And out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, which he later would give, but he had not given it because he had not had the resurrection yet. So God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. You walk with me, you look to me, you satisfy your desires in me, and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put a well of living water inside of you and you will never thirst again. That's an outrageous promise. And I believe he literally means it. Never thirst again. What are you thirsty for? What is your soul longing for? What's turning your crank and tightening the springs inside of you? What is hijacking you? When I heard this morning, I use an app called Lectio 365. I've told you about it before. I'll mention it again later. It's a great phone app. It does a morning and an evening uh, reflective uh, thing through scripture and prayer. And this morning was the thought that Jesus is relaxed. And you might want to say, Lord, you see what's going on in the Middle East? This could do crazy stuff. This could be the beginning of World War 93, whatever, you know, this could really blow the whole thing up. This could mess with the whole world economy. This could do everything. Or maybe you're just focused on your household. Lord, do you see the decision my ex-person is about to make? Do you see the crisis they face? Did you see the diagnosis, Lord? And yet Jesus remains relaxed. Why? Because he already knows that he is with you. He already knows that he's everything you need. 
Man, can you make the decision to satisfy your mind, your heart, your physical needs first in God? I would say it this way, no matter what's going on in your world, your greatest need all the time is more of Jesus. And this will drive you to that place of private altar where I'm privately healthy with God. Uh, There's a book called Happiness is a Choice written by two clinical psychologists uh, who ironically don't get along with each other anymore and they've sued each other. So uh, just tell the truth about them. But uh, they have this book, Happiness is a Choice. When I was in college, you know, eons ago, uh, it changed my life. And in that book, they talk about seven lifestyle habits. They had seen thousands of clients and they never met a single client battling depression who lived the seven habits. There's something foundational missing in our lives, and this is what Jesus said, if you'll build your house on the rock, storms will come, blow against your house, but it'll stand strong because you're built on a rock. And if you're not building on the rock, then you're building on sand, and that sand can wash away, and everything you know and love collapses, and you are freaking out. Come to me. All who are weary, heavy laden, are you thirsty? Come buy food without money. Come buy everything you need without cash. You don't have to worry. You draw near to God and you seek Him as the primary solution to every mental, emotional, and physical need in your life. The second decision starts in verse 12, actually, uh, of Isaiah 55, but it's this decision to trust God's word to change how the world interacts with me. Okay, now I want you to get your brains around this. To to trust God's word to change how the world responds to me. And here's what he says in verse 12. I I mean, I like, well, let's just start at verse 10. "As As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and they produce... Uh, the bud and the flourish so that it yields seed for the sower, bread for the eater. Uh, So it is with my word that comes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I sent it for and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Then he says, verse 12, you'll go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. You know what he's talking about there? Do you remember Genesis 3? Genesis 3 is when Adam and Eve have sinned. They, they, you know, God gives them one rule. They're in paradise. It doesn't rain there, which is all like Denver. You know, but I came from the land of rain where it rains all the time. And when I think about paradise, having lush green, that's what we don't have in Colorado, the lush and green. You don't get that without water, but it never rained. It just, it would do in the morning and God would water it with springs from the earth. And you have this lush garden. Everybody's naked. Life is good. You're just, I mean, it's just awesome. The animals probably just, you know, interact. It's just incredible. And God says, hey, this is what I want for you. I need you to obey just one rule. Don't touch that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. Trust me for knowledge. Trust me for everything you need. But when they saw that the apple was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, they took it and they ate it. And uh, then when God comes looking for them, they hide. They're ashamed. They're embarrassed. They hide. And here's what God says to Adam in verse 17. 
to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. Now, some guys would want to put a period right there. Uh, because you listened to your wife, because she was the one who said, hey, this apple looks pretty darn good. I don't know if it was really an apple, but whatever fruit it was, uh, it's pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. She believed that. She says to her husband, let's do this thing. So some guys stop right there, but I will tell you, there are way more scriptures in the Bible encouraging you to listen to your wife than there are to tell you because you listen to her, you're in trouble. But, uh, and wives, you need to listen to your husbands occasionally as well. Though the percentages are lower, they are occasionally right. But here's what happens. Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Dust you were, and to dust you shall return. The whole earth became cursed because of man's fall. This is really important because what we see in the earth is things going from order to chaos. If you don't believe that, try to grow a garden in the back of your house to produce some vegetables or something, and do not take care of it, and do not, it'll go from order to chaos. Uh, our bodies do that as we age. Um, the whole world is going from order to chaos, and creation is too. God cursed the ground because of the sin, and it's got a lifespan now. There's, a, there's an expiration date on this planet. All of that fits within God's redemptive plan, but watch what he does in Isaiah 55 when your ways are pleasing to the Lord, when you decide that I'm going to trust God. He says, when my word's at play, my word accomplishes what I sent it for. My word makes things happen that I desire. And so here's the second big decision if you're going to live in ways that God finds delight in, is you're going to believe that this book, this, this Bible, I'm, I'm telling you, I could talk for days on this topic because a lot of people say, well, it was written by dudes. Uh, you know, it was written, uh, you know, all these authors over all these hundreds of years. It's, is it reliable? Has it stayed true to itself? Are the manuscripts reliable? Did people write what later change it? You know, did it really come from God? If you want to have that conversation, I love having it. Let me know and we'll talk about it because of all ancient literature, antiquity literature of all kinds, and this is not Bible people telling you this. This is, uh, this is scientists of all ancient literature. Nothing comes close to the number of copies we have of this book. The accuracy of those copies, nothing comes close. Iliad and Odyssey is number two. We have 24 copies or so of Iliad and the Odyssey that are all 800 years old from the origin. We have 25,000 copies of the Bible from ancient literature that align perfectly. You find a jot or a tittle here or there that don't match. It's incredible how this book has been preserved. It is a work of God. It is the word of God. He says, whatever comes out of my mouth, it will accomplish what I desire to accomplish. It will do what I sent it for. And when you believe this, when you believe God, if you say it, I believe it and I'm gonna trust it. I'm gonna stake my life on it. I'm gonna obey it. I'm gonna put it at play in the way I live my life. I'm gonna trust your word, God, to guide how I handle my enemies. 
I'm going to trust your word to guide how I handle prosperity. I'm going to trust your, your word to, t- to help me how to teach my children, how to have a family. I'm going to trust your word to guide me through marriage. I'm going to trust you, God, how I do my vocational life and what my dreams are. When you trust his word, something powerful happens because God changes the way the world is responding to you. Instead of a cursed ground, you get fruitful trees. Instead of enemies that seek to destroy you, you get enemies that want to make peace with you. And here's the thing. This is the kicker. Back to Proverbs 16. Better righteousness with a little than wickedness with a lot. That means this may not always look the way you think it should look. Jesus did get nailed to a cross. His enemies nailed him there. And God can be trusted. When you believe that, we're really going down to the basement of your own decision-making, of your own belief system. Do I believe that God is the place I need to go first to satisfy my mental, emotional, and physical needs? Do I believe that God's word is truth and I need to understand it? And sometimes it's complicated and 16 people have 16 opinions about it. But Lord, your word, I put it in my heart. Your word, if I hid it in my heart that I might not sin against you. Man, I trust the Bible. I could tell you if I could give every human being, especially every Christian, one habit in their life, it would be to consume a portion of God's word every single day. Not where you're uh, reading it, but where it's reading you where you reflect on it and you listen to it and you imagine what God is saying and you understand it. And then you ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this portion of the word? There's nothing consistently in your life that'll pay the fruit that that pays. And Isaiah 55 affirms that. This is the Old Testament saying that. God is gonna change how the world responds to you when you live according to his word. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I believe my life proves it out over and over and over again. And I want you to believe that. Why? Because, man, I think God has incredible things in store for you. But you cannot ignore God, choose what you love or don't love about God's authority in your life. You don't get to say, Lord, you can have this part of me, but not this part of me. You don't get to do that and enjoy the favor of God in your life your life becomes wholly his. So now we're to the pattern, this lifestyle of altar and stewardship. How do I live this out? I live this out with a lifestyle I wanna sell you on called altar and stewardship. And that means that I am privately healthy with God and publicly living my life, not as a free American chasing the American dream, but as a living servant of the most high God, stewarding my life, my resources, my family on his behalf. So my whole life is an act of stewardship. How I work, how I play, how I communicate, how I forgive, how I love, how I serve, how I take, all of it is a reflection of my stewardship before God. So let's talk about altar. Altar is being with God. And I think of the three C's of this relationship. First, communing with God. That is, I love this phrase, enjoying God, enjoying me, enjoying him. This is where quiet reflection time, it's really a state of mindfulness. You're not conjuring up the spirit of God. He is always there. This is an acknowledgement of his presence. 
And this is saying, I'm with you. I just want to be with you. Every time I even say those words, my heart calms down. Communing with God. Man, he loves your company. I think more than anything, you know, we go to God and we run in. If I did this to my wife, hey, babe, uh, you know, I run in the room. Hey, babe, I need this. I need my clothes washed. I need, I need you to take care of this. Can you talk, talk to the bank and take care of that? Can you cover these bills? Love you. Love you. You're the best. Bye. Gone. Like, that's how we relate with God. Almost the entire time we're spending with God, we're doing all the talking and we got piles of requests. I'm talking about communing with God. Man, Lord, you're here. I know you're here. And as I think back over my day, I see where you were here. Thank you. I just want to be with you for a little bit. I introduced you to a tool called uh, a Prayer of Examine. It's an audio file that can walk you through a 10-minute reflection time just to get you into this kind of habit. And this is not, you know, altar in the morning. This is the way a lot of us think. Well, I'll spend time with God in the morning, and then I'll live my life in stewardship all day. No, this is altar and stewardship is a constant flow. Uh, I use this practice. I told you this, you know, during COVID when I had my first anxiety attack, I would just say, hey, Lord, you're here. You've always been here. Now I'm here with you. Let's commune for a minute. Instant calm. Communion with God. Jesus said it this way, you must abide in the vine, John 15. When you abide in the vine, you bear much fruit. But apart from the vine, you can't produce fruit. So stay connected. This is this communion with God. Secondly, is uh, consecrating your life to God. That is, Lord, you, uh, everything I have and own and am is yours. Part of that time at altar is laying it on the altar. God, my possessions are yours. My marriage is yours. My children are yours. Uh, my possessions are yours. It, I consecrate my life to God. And that's something we have to do all the time. And third is commissioning from God. Co-mission. Jesus is on a mission, and he wants you to be on mission with him. And so as you spend time at altar with God, you're seeking for him to whisper to you. Maybe you've got a significant decision to make. Maybe it's a financial decision or a work decision. Or maybe you've got a conflict you need to figure out how to resolve. And you stay with God. Lord, help me. Give me some guidance and I'll do this your way. Teach me. So consecration, commission, communion with God. That's your altar. And it happens throughout the day. I read about a guy who said his goal was to think about God once a minute. To think about God once a minute. Think about that. Like, what? I don't, I've, I don't think I've ever hit once a minute for an entire day. But when you think about this, I want to think about God all the time. I want to remind myself that he's here. I want to pause and listen. I want to be aware of God. This is altar. And I want to commune with him. I want to consecrate my life to him. And I want to be commissioned by him how I live my life now as a stewardship to God. And so then my stewardship is, man, that's just doing what the Lord puts on your heart. There's a great book called uh, The Two-Minute Rule. And that is, it's a little bitty book, talks about how uh, go on a little 30-day experiment. If God speaks to your heart, obey within two minutes. It's terrifying. And as you increase your awareness, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because he's going to tell you to do something that's terrifying to you. It's not comfortable. It's having a hard conversation or walking away from something you really want. Immediate obedience. This is stewardship. God, my life is yours. You know what? It's not my life anymore. It's your life. So how do you want me to live it? What are we going to do? 
This is altar and stewardship, and this is how life, let me just tell you this, this is a life that when God sees it, he delights in it. He delights in your ways. I was having a conversation with my son, my youngest boy, and I was saying, man, I think God must get tired of how cripplingly dependent I am on, uh, upon him. Like, I feel like I'm an, I feel like I'm in, you know, just a whiny baby all the time, but I'm not asking God for stuff. I'm just making sure that I'm not stepping out. I want his presence. I want his friendship. I want his guidance. And my son said, well, that's precisely why he, that's what he loves. That's what he wants from us. And I'm convinced that's true. So here's the response I want you to consider today. Response number one, it's very simple. Lord, help me practice a lifestyle of altar and stewardship. A lifestyle, communing with God, consecrating my life to God, receiving commission from God about how to live, work, study, and play right here in my life, and then living it out as a stewardship to God. I don't own a thing. It all has been entrusted to me to steward it on His behalf. What would you like me to do with it, Lord? Altar and stewardship. I'm gonna give you the opportunity in just a moment. Our worship team is gonna lead us in a song and you can start altar and stewardship right here in this moment. Some of you already have as you sense the Lord speaking to you about particular parts of your life. That is happening even right now. And as you acquire this skill or this practice or this aptitude for discerning the presence of God, it'll happen to you more and more and more and more. Second response is always the same here at Summit Church, and that is to bless your oikos. Oikos is a New Testament word. It means the people that are in your extended household, people that are right there in your life. You don't have to go looking for a mission from Jesus. He's given you one, and God is supernaturally and strategically bringing people right in front of your life that he wants you to love, serve, and care for, and you are to bless them. That's an acronym here that means believe for them in prayer, listen to them, eat food with them, that's my favorite, serve them, and when it's appropriate, share your story with them. This is not rocket science, this is how God changes the world. One relationship at a time of us paying attention, being the people of God right where we live, work, study, and play with the people God has brought into our traffic pattern. We open our eyes, it's an awareness thing just like altar and stewardship are, and once you become aware of watching for what God is already doing in the lives of the people He's placed around you, Getting to participate in that is a thrill. Okay, I feel like I've just overwhelmed you with information, so let's pray. And I want to ask the Lord to help you hunger and thirst and really be starving and for you to find satisfaction for those appetites in God. It's a game changer. Let me pray for you. Father, we're so grateful for your word and your truth. And we know that your word, whatever comes out of your mouth is powerful, it changes things. It created the universe. You spoke and pow, it came to be. We know that your word has that power in our lives and you can change a cursed ground into a blessed ground. And you can take our lives while we have three pounds of brain trying to figure out what in the world we should do next. You can give us divine supernatural wisdom. Help us to surrender it all and to embrace this life of altar and stewardship. Lord, would you help us? Would you bless us? Not just so that we will have abundant blessing from God, but so that that blessing can move 
into our oikos and begin to spill out on the people that we're around all the time for the glory of God. Would you help us? We pray it in the wonderful name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.